So welcome back to the Eastside Agent Podcast, sponsored by Cleveland Street Mortgage. I'm your host, Chris Buteau, and today's Monday, excuse me, it's Tuesday, July the 11th. And I want to start out with just some anecdotes, what's happening in the market right now. And uh, today I'm going to focus on Edmonds, um, two very similar listings, same agent, same market, same price point, um, and different results. You know, the, the price point was $1.5 million. It was listed, and there was a five-day stipulated offer review period, you know, before offer review was going to happen. And uh, day one, they received an all-cash offer, a skosh overlisting, just a skosh overlisting, 30 days for the seller to vacate. And in this case, the, um, the seller decided to accept that offer. And so um, great result for the seller. They were really pleased with that. Um, the second one, same price point, 1.5 million, same agent, same general terms, um, offer review date, listing, same market response. Initially, very strong offer came in right away and the seller decided to test the market. And in this case, the original offer, the original um, uh, potential buyer walked away, did not come back um, during the offer review period since their initial offer was rejected. And of course, anecdotes don't establish universal laws like you should always take the first offer, but it is a window kind of illustrating the potential risk. And part of the problem with that even though is that you, you always know when you fail at testing the market, right? Because if you test the market and the seller doesn't come back or the buyer doesn't come back, then you've, you, you kind of failed in that case, right? You, you had a good strong offer in hand, you thought maybe you can do better and you didn't get it. So you know you failed, but you really won't know that you failed if you decide to take the early offer, right? And, and because failure is defined differently, their failure is defined as you know, what might have happened had you not done this thing. And so you, that, that's not answerable, really. You don't really know. Um, but it does kind of create that bias toward thinking, oh, you know, I, I failed at this one and, and I didn't fail at that one. But in this particular case, you know, we have one, you know, very happy seller. They got, you know, full price plus a little bit and, um, and they're off and running. The other one is still on the market. So, so, uh, so just be aware of that. You know, the other thing maybe to take away from these is, you know, where did these listings come from? You know, what motivated them to sell? Because we know that's the big challenge is finding sellers who want to sell, who are willing to sell. And in this case, it's, you know, kind of the usual suspects. Maybe one of them was the usual suspect. They were moving out of state, right? And so moving out of state, great buyer, right? They're very motivated. They, they're, there's, you know, that's a strong motivator. That That's not something that, oh, I have this low interest rate is going to kind of keep them from selling listing. They're moving. Um, the other had a contingent purchase. And, and that's also, a, you know, that's also a fairly good strategy for allaying the concerns of a seller because, because, you know, one of the problems is, hey, there's no inventory out there. And so if I do sell, I'm going to be homeless for a while. It's going to take me a while to find that next house and who knows what that's going to be. And so the other, you know, the other, um, uh, situation here was that they had a contingent purchase that they were looking to execute on and therefore they were willing to go ahead and sell and needed to go ahead and sell for that reason. Um, you can check out my um, YouTube channel called Mortgage Mastery Theater. Uh, there is a video there about how to buy before you sell. It's particularly for you know people who are downsizing. So that's the antidote. You know, what about plays that worked? And, and I'm going to just kind of confess out right here. I, stored, I stole these directly from the Tom Ferry podcasting experience. Maybe many of you already listened to that, but that's a great uh, resource for realtors to go out there and kind of just get good ideas about what's working in the marketplace. And, and this one had to do with leveraging every listing that you get for more listings. 
and through open houses primarily. And so the first thing is, you know, don't make the goal of leveraging the listing for an additional listing an afterthought. Really think about that ahead of time is what am I going to do? What strategies am I going to employ to make sure that I do the utmost to generate more listings from this one? And so what are some of the things they talked about here on this podcast? It was just maybe a week ago or so is, you know, list early in the week and don't accept offers till Monday and then door knock the neighborhood. You know, and, and, and have that special party for just the neighborhood, that sneak preview where you have a special lunch or some drinks or snacks or whatever you have there. And, and it's, an, a part, it's a party for the advanced look by those neighbors, by those people in that neighborhood and the people that are going to be kind of most interested in what you're doing with their neighbor's house. And let them know how important it is for the house to generate a lot of buzz and create urgency. You know, and let the neighbors know this. So look, we want to create urgency. We want people to drive by and feel the real urgency to buy this house because they see all the activity. So come to my open house and make, help make that happen. Enjoy drinks and snacks and whatnot. Get that sneak preview, but also create that urgency. And of course, it does two things. One is it creates urgency, right? It, it brings the people there, but it also demonstrates to those neighbors that you are thinking about strategizing, you know, how to make sure that this house gets maximum price and maximum attention. Um, and then leverage the asset that you've got. And this, you know, one example that, that, that I saw from this was, you know, the, there was a listing that had a horseshoe driveway and the realtor just had some kids come out there who are good, responsible kids. Uh, wash cars. They gave out tickets to those neighbors for that special party instead of that special food and drink party. I mean, they probably had some snacks there too. But they said, come on over and we'll have a little party ahead of time. In the meantime, here's your ticket for a car wash. You know, they had a horseshoe driveway. The, the cars were, you know, drove through the driveway, got their car washed, brought the neighbors in to look at it. That's just leveraging the asset that you've got. Um, notify your existing database. Have a great reason to reach out and touch your existing database. Let them know you're still working. Ask them if they know anyone else looking to buy because everybody knows inventory is short right now. Inventory is tight. And so you may give them the ability to do a, a, a good friend a favor by saying, look, I know of a, of a place that's for sale. And it's just another way to touch your existing uh, neighborhood. And then finally, you know, when you're done, don't just send out a just sold card or sold 40,000 over list card because it doesn't tell the story, right? All, you know, all it tells is the result, which is a good result, but it doesn't tell the story. And you know, one of the things they suggested here was send out a card with a QR code that says, find out what happened on 123 Maple Street. And then, then that link, that QR code links you to a video and maybe it shows traffic from the day of, you know, when you have the big open house and you have all that traffic happening. Maybe it shows you some of the prep work that went into the listing. You know, and of course, you need to plan this in advance. Take videos, do that kind of thing. Maybe it shows a video of the offer review, you know, where you're sitting down with the clients and you're reviewing 10 offers. And then, of course, in the end, it shows the happy clients and, and, and you know, reveals what the price was. So those are just some thoughts about how to leverage a listing. You know, moving over to the economic news and interest rates. Um, interest rates are holding firm. They're holding, you know, uh, firm up up right now. They're kind of in the high sixes, you know, APR if you're a first-time home buyer, uh, about 40 basis points over that, 7.4 maybe if you're not a first-time home buyer. Bond markets, um, which heavily influence mortgage rates, are having a hard time shaking off the strong jobs data that's come in the last couple of, you know, last month or so. 
Um, you know, of course, the Fed says they want to control inflation, and, and most of the inflation readings have been steadily improving. Yeah, you know, we're we're still seeing inflation. The, the the actual reading of the numbers is higher than the Fed's target, but steadily the rate of growth is 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 slowing, and, and inflation is coming down. And so you can definitely see that. And there is a lag effect to some of what the Fed does. You know, so they they're 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 going to budget for that, um, but at the same time. Yeah, you know, the Fed is still saying that we have more increases to come, and 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 really, that the the main reason I think that they're looking at that is because this, the the job market has been super strong, even though you know maybe you saw the headline this past you know the first Friday of every month the jobs report comes out, and the jobs created were smaller than expectations, you know lower than expectations, but really you dig into that a little bit, and and the um, you know wage inflation is still there, still a lot of pressure, there's still just way too many jobs out there, um, and you know, as a result, you know with with that many jobs that or and not enough people that cre that creates a high level of uh, potential wage inflation, and that's really what the Fed is afraid of. You know, they they want fewer jobs out there so that the that the um, workers, the employers, the team members have to compete for those jobs, and, and they're not in the driver's seat, therefore commanding higher wages and salaries and driving inflation. And so that, as a result, is what's kind of keeping the Fed from pulling back and 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 announcing that hey, we're done. You know, we're going to kind of watch this for a while. No, they've telegraphed that they're going to raise it again for you know for at least one or two more times. Through the cycle, I'm still expecting rates to come down. You know, I, th I think that's that's abundantly evident that the vast majority of economists, lenders, everyone expects rates to come down. Uh, doesn't mean everyone's right. Everyone could be wrong, uh, but I do think that that's going to happen. But it's probably going to be a little bit later in the current year, or maybe early next year. So that's uh, that's it for the economic forecast, and then finally, this is kind of this is uh, the the wannabe viticulturist vignettes. I'm the wannabe viticulturist, in case you didn't know, um, and it really is a fantasy, but uh, but it's kind of fun to study and just read about. So one of the things I learned about this week was field blending. You know, most blends when you get a blend, and you're talking mostly about red wines when you're talking blends, not not exclusively, but most blends are are you know the varietals are vinified separately. And then they're blended. You know, so for example, if you get a GSM blend, you know, you vinify the Grenache, the Syrah, and the Bovedra. You have all these separate wines, and then you blend them. You know, you blend them kind of at the bottling phase, and they're, you know they're kind of done. And you just blend them in the in the percentages that you want to create the, you know, the 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 flavor and the body and the you know the complexity that you want. But there is a thing called field blending, and that involves vinifying all the grapes together. Now this is, you know, you can see how that would be. You know, it's 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 a great minority. You know, in terms of any blends whatsoever, it, you know, it's, it's it's kind of a niche. Um, but the great, you know, because the the great majority are vinified separately because you you want to bring out the best of each grape, and and doing so requires you know, grapes are different, and each grape needs a, a separate sort of process in order to bring out the best of that grape. Um, but there are some that that believe that it kind of brings out more of the terroir versus the fruitiness of a grape when you when you take um, grapes that are grown in a certain area or a certain field, and you have a variety of grapes that are grown in that area, and you throw them all together, and then you vinify them together. So that's just called field, field blending. So there you go. Thanks so much.